Welcome to the Take Good Care podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bradshaw. No one wants to become highly skilled at navigating a medical crisis by actually navigating their own medical crises. But I'm here for it. I'm here to help you avoid the learn-as-you-go education in healthcare that I've experienced throughout my own healthcare journey. And I'm also here to facilitate inspiration with guests who get you. We get you. And we're here to build community. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Take Good Care podcast. This is episode eight. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, I talk with Kim and Doug Bianchi. We happen to live in the same community, and we're friends. Doug and Kim are the owners of a lovely small vineyard. And literally, from the onset of Doug's mysterious illness, this community, their friends, showed up at the vineyard to work, not even knowing what needed to be done. When he woke up one morning, paralyzed from the waist down, and no one can prepare for something so unexpected, Doug and Kim needed the help and support of their community. Now, Doug will admit he has a hard time asking for help. So many of us do. And I believe that one of the lessons we are meant to learn from a health crisis is how to give and receive help, how to build community. I promise you that your friends and family witnessing your health crisis want to help. But sometimes they don't know how to help if you don't tell them what you need. And the same is true of the other side. If you are a friend or a family member, a community member witnessing the health crisis of someone else, think about your own skills and talents. If you make the most delicious casserole, then by all means, be the person who delivers casseroles. Be the person maybe who mows the lawn, picks up the mail, offers to take the kids to or from school one day a week. Consider what in your own household would be turned upside down, then think about how you can help fill in the gaps. The other thing I want to point out about Doug and Kim's story is that there is a beginning and a middle, but the end is not yet known. They can't know the outcomes surrounding the mystery of Doug's illness. And that's a complicated place to be. As I listened back to our conversation preparing this episode, I could hear the uncertainty in their voices, but I can also hear their determination. Doug shares his thoughts about dis-ease, not just disease, but dis-ease. It's truly a fascinating and vulnerable conversation. First with Doug, then with Kim. Let's start from the beginning. You'd been having some numbness in your legs for about a year, but on March 9th, everything really caught up with you. You know, I'm a regular dude. I thought I had a pinched nerve in my back and a little bit of numbness in my leg and we'll take care of it at some point, but it just kept growing and growing. And then March 9th of this year, I literally woke up in the morning and I was paralyzed from the waist down. Let's talk about that moment because there's not many people who can, who have any such experience. Were you having some increased numbness in the days before or was it just sudden, sudden like that? It was growing. Yeah, it was growing to where it was getting extremely hard to walk. My left leg was shutting down, but I really didn't expect to wake up and be paralyzed. So, yeah, that was a shock. What happened that morning then? So you wake up and tell us what happened. So I woke up and realized I was paralyzed. 
And there's a lot of things that go through your mind, you know. And so I would say it took me about 10 minutes to go through a mental process. The mental process for me was, oh my God, I'm paralyzed. What am I going to do with this? How is this going to affect my life? Poor me and all that. And then finally come to the realization that, all right, if, if this is the way it's going to be, then what am I going to do with it? How can I, uh, what can I do with it? Can I make this a positive? Maybe this is, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do now. And so was there any thought in your mind that this is permanent? Is this temporary? I mean, obviously you're getting yourself to a hospital at this point. Did you have any thoughts about that or you're just trying to take it a moment at a time? I still thought it was, I wasn't sure, but it was kind of funny because my first call was to the wheelchair rental company to see if I get a wheelchair and then call a friend and just put me in a wheelchair. We'll figure this out later or even just prop me up in the corner. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it so out. So not call an ambulance, Kim. I'm paralyzed. No. Um, and I and the only friend that I could get a hold of quickly was someone who was extremely sensitive. You know, I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell him no when he said, Doug, we need to get you to the emergency room. And so we, we called an ambulance. They came, picked me up, took me to Confluence, and they did an MRI. And uh, they said, hey, you, you've got a tumor on your spinal cord. So that was a bit of a shock. And then they said, we, they also said, well, we've called University of Washington Medical. They said to fly you over immediately, and they're going to prep for emergency surgery. So sitting you up in a corner and dealing with this later was not an option, obviously. Yeah, suddenly is... I realized it was a bigger deal than I yeah. thought. So you made the right call to the right friend, I think. I think so. It worked out that way. One of the things that you've shared with me in our conversations over the year is over these months is that you had been experiencing dis-ease, some real discontentment with things in your career and things in your life. And and you feel like that might be a contributor. Would you share a bit about that? Yeah, I'm a firm believer in our mental state. And I've, I've watched a few people go through um, being in a state of dis-ease and actually bringing on disease. And so um, I recognized that I was in that state for about a four-year period with things that I was going through in my life, trying to get entangled from previous business, et cetera. And um, I even shared with Kim um, a couple of years ago, I said, look, I, I feel like I'm in a state of dis-ease and I'm, I'm, I'm worried about, I'm concerned about that. And I no sooner got untangled from the things I was worried about, and bam, this hits me, right? Believing that, I also believe that I can mentally contribute to my well-being, getting out of my situation. Mm -hmm. When I was diagnosed with cancer at 24, it was the hardest, one of the hardest years of my life leading up to it. 
because we'd lost my father-in-law, my late husband's father, and there was just no room for my grief. And it was, it was a very difficult, difficult time in our marriage. And I remember thinking, I just want to go home to my family in California, rest and be taken care of for a while because I was taking care of everything. And sure enough, I went home to California for Christmas, my husband and I, and I was diagnosed with cancer and I was home with my family and I was resting and I was being taken care of. Now, would I have wished that to be the path? No, no way. But I believe in what you're saying and that the things that I was going through sure didn't help where I ended up, I think, physically. And I, like you, believe just as strongly that I could have a role in in that recovery and hopefully living many, many years with a change in my attitude. I think there's a lot of people in a state of dis-ease that don't look at it like that. They don't look at it like they really do have the power to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Doug, you were talking about when this first happened, your first thought was, I got to get a wheelchair or someone just propped me up in a corner. Tell us what happened from there. Well, what happened from there is, you know, you start to wonder, how am I going to how am I going to get everything done? I mean, we, we had bottling to do. We're behind. We're, we're a small winery, so, you know, things can go sideways real fast. Um, not having enough inventory, et cetera. But what happened immediately is that I had a friend call and say, hey, where's the, where's the staples for the, uh, you know, the taping gun <laughs> for the the vineyard, you know, and where's this and where's that? And it was just out of the blue. I didn't ask anybody. They just call me up and want to know where the tools are to get things done. And I, I thought that was pretty impressive. I, for one, I kind of go through life, I've gone through life thinking, you know, no, nobody really cares about your problems, right? But I, I that was when I started to learn that that people really do. And I've really learned what community is about through this process. I, I, I can imagine you're not a guy who would have asked for much help. It's but... hard for me to ask for help. I don't want to, I don't want to ask or tell people to do something that I won't do myself. And if I can't do it, that makes it extremely difficult. I've never been there before. Yeah, that's tough. And it brings me to my next question. We're talking a lot about community during this conversation, Doug. And so I want to ask you about that heavy-duty scooter you have there. You received that as a gift from the community and your friends when they held a fundraiser for you. Did you know anything about it? Did you see it coming? No, they completely did it without my authorization. <laughs> <laughs> without your authorization. <laughs> but it just goes to show you, you know how this community is, um, I was completely blown away. And does that then enable you to get down into the vineyard where before the chair you had, you couldn't? How, how much yeah, that help your mobility? What I'm having is insurance covers a wheelchair, but a wheelchair that's, that's, that'll get you around a hardwood floor in the house, but it won't hardly get you out to the vehicle in a gravel driveway. It's certainly not going to get you in the vineyard. The scooter that they purchase, that that thing goes to the vineyard with authority. <laughs> it completely opens up my world. So yeah, 
Now, I was so happy to see the video that they posted on Facebook when you receive that gift and the surprise, because I, like so many people, have visited the winery, gone to your events, and seen your limited access, and just felt badly that you couldn't be down in the dirt, in the vines, in the grapes, in the area that you've helped create, that you helped build over many years with your hard work, yours and Kim's hard work. So to get to see you have greater access, that that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting because I I love projects and I get excited about projects and I'll be said I'll look out the window and oh yeah I'm I'm excited I'm going to do this and then I think oh wait a second I can't do that. Right. <laughs> so I haven't really made the mental connection that I you know, initially in my thought process that I can't do certain things. And how do you turn that to the positive that you were hoping this would be for you? Where is the lesson? Where are some of the greatest lessons you found it? Is in accepting the limitation, finding other ways to make an impact? There's quite a few. I mean, it's a humbling experience. Not sure about the lesson as far as not being able to do the work. The only thing I can think of is that there's a greater appreciation for being able, being able to do what we do, whatever that may be, and um, not not being able to fulfill what we want to do, what our desires are, what our projects are. Um, that's extremely humbling. And where are you at now? So the diagnosis now is I've learned that I truly am special because... <laughs> <laughs> because you know, when they initially did the surgery, they could not remove the tumor because it was it was embedded and wrapped within the spinal cord. In fact, the doctor said he's never seen anything like it. He even said it looked old. Maybe maybe it was an old injury or something. Who knows? But they they could barely get a sample out of it. So now uh, months later, being that this this tumor-like growth has expanded slightly they're able to get another sample and so we're waiting for a diagnosis but initially you know it's been testing negative so we're not real sure and that's what it, that was the struggle before is there's no diagnosis there's a growth it's not cancerous it's not lymphoma but it's it's a growth of something right so hopefully we can get a diagnosis, but yeah. if it's growing, obviously we've got to put a stop to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm into that. <laughs> I'm into that. Well, I just, uh, I, I, I wish you all the best. And I, I hope that your wheels make you happy. And um, just knowing that so many people care about you. And before Kim comes on, anything you'd like to say to her through this opportunity? Yeah, I've got a couple things. Number one, as far as Kimberly goes, you know, it's been laid in her lap, and uh, I, I, it's a huge test for anybody. You know, it'll you'll find out what you're made out of, whether you're in my situation or hers. And and she's truly been a rock star. I mean, we both had our struggles from time to time, but I can say she's she's been. Uh, unbelievable in this process. I would second that. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk to her in just a minute when we come back. I wish you the best. Yeah, great. Thanks, Lisa. Kim, I also wanted to share 
your side of things as a caregiver. I've been a patient and a caregiver, and I think sometimes being the caregiver can be a little more challenging sometimes because you feel helpless, right? You want to fix things that maybe aren't fixable quite yet. So just wanted you to speak to your point of view of things and maybe offer that'll offer encouragement to others, just the relatability. Yeah. Well, you you're in, you find yourself in a, a state of um, the unknown because you have never gone through this experience before. So then you you have, um, like I would have to say, started out with shock because I wasn't there when this happened. I was actually visiting my son in Tennessee. So I got the phone call, you know, Kim, I'm going to be airlifted to the University of Washington. And so all those um, those hours of, you know, fearfulness, what's happening. And then, of course, then you're in the care of all the doctors and the nurses. And it's it was amazing treatment that we we were serviced there. But it was when you got home, that's when the big shocker was, because it's like, okay, now, now what, you know, you don't have all the ADA, you know, the bathrooms and all the equipment that they utilize there for him to make it comfortable for him. So there was a lot of sadness and I would be upset because it's like, okay, I'm your caregiver, but yet I'm, I don't feel like I'm the best caregiver. <laughs> and then he would be the one picking me off, off the floor because I would be in these, emo these emotions of up and down, up and down. And he'd always raise me up, give me, give me the hope that we're going to make it through. There's a volley of strength, right? Like you're saying, there's times that he's lifting you up. There's times that you're lifting him up. Where has the community come in this for you? Oh boy, that lights a huge smile on my face with the the servers that work for us. I've got girls that rally, you know, for me. Just Kim, don't worry about the business. We got we got it for you. Um, you know, we'll take care of this. And then it's like, okay, at least that relief is off my shoulders. But then I also have some great just my girlfriends checking in on you. How you doing today? You know, just it's okay to cry. <laughs> Call me if you want to cry. So I have that support too. Love of friends. You know, one thing I think caregivers face sometimes is the challenge of getting the patient to to be okay with being a patient sometimes. To listen to the doctors, to listen to you, to and I'm not speaking for to Doug specifically, I'm speaking to lots of experience I've had with patients and their caregivers. Sometimes it's hard to draw the line between I'm the nurse kind of caregiver and I'm the wife. Oh, yeah. I don't even know where that line is, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. It's still hard for me. I, I've i recently connected with, uh, her name is Danny Utley, Mike Utley's wife, who he became a paraplegic. Yes. yes. He played for WSU and then he played for the Detroit Lions and it was during a Detroit Lions football game that he was injured. So they are very involved in the community and she's been of help to other people I know as well. So I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're connected. That's good. Yeah. So she, she did say that I, it's very important in a relationship for me to be his wife and that I can't be reminding him, you know, daily, you drink your water, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that because that will do some harm, right? So I just have to be aware of that. I don't have to be an, a nurse all the time. <laughs> I can be a loving wife and, you know, hug him. And that's what, that's what he needs. That's going to help him through his days. Well, thank you both for coming on and, and sharing your side of the story. And 
I appreciate you trusting me with it. I, I really do. I look forward to talking to you both for a long time. All right. We appreciate you. Yeah. Both of you take good care. Thanks.